So if you will go ahead and turn uh, to the book of Ruth. Uh, it is right after the book of Judges and right before the book of Samuel. It's a little book, so it's easy to miss, but as you turn there, I'll remind you we are in week three of our Redeemed series, where we are walking through the book of Ruth, learning not just about this wonderful story, but allowing it to point us continually towards Christ uh, during this Advent season. And week one, uh, we looked at the hope of Jesus that was reflected in the hope Naomi and Ruth found uh, in returning to Bethlehem. In week two, we looked at the peace of Jesus reflected in the peace Naomi and Ruth found when they found Boaz. And so we left Naomi and Ruth and their story at verse 23 of chapter 2. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. And you'll remember last week I said we could have summarized that as she found peace in Bethlehem. So uh, even with that being the case, uh, with her finding peace, there is one puzzle uh, not yet figured out for Ruth. She was widowed in Moab. Um, by following her mother-in-law Naomi to Bethlehem, she had not only gave up her familial connections, fully converted to Judaism, she had essentially given up any hope at a husband or a children or a home of her own, right? So she was living with her mother-in-law. And so she had food, she had a sense of security, she had a sense of peace, all the things we talked about, but the joy of marriage the joy of motherhood, the joy of grandchildren, of extended family, would seemingly be out of reach for this foreign Moabite living in Bethlehem. So, but if you've been paying attention as we've gone through the book of Ruth, we've been seeing this glimmers of hope come to fruition. We've seen shadows of peace fall on Ruth, and there's been this foreshadowing that's been happening, especially in chapter 2. Chapter 2 began with this. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And the foreshadowing continues. It says in verse 3b, And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And it goes on in verse 19 and 20 when she reports to Naomi, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken in the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, this man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. We talked about what that word meant in this culture. And so what we see today in Ruth's story here in chapter 3 is it advances quickly to a place where we find that Boaz may turn out to be more than just a comforter, more than just a provider, more than someone who bought, brought peace, but he may be the one who brings joy again to Ruth by her, his relationship and, and by relationship, her mother-in-law, Naomi. And so if you have your Bibles, uh, and there at chapter 3, we're going to look at this chapter under the title, or under the heading of Whispers of Joy. And so we'll begin there in verse 1 of chapter 3. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you? that it may be well with you. Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash therefore and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. 
But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, and then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say I will do. This is a hopeful plan. So this is the plan Naomi comes up with, and it is one of uh, hope. And so what we see in this is understanding this, we need to see what Naomi it is expresses as her reasoning behind it. What did this plan come from? She says, should I not seek rest for you? Now, if you've been following along in Ruth, this is not the first time that Naomi has used this language concerning Ruth. If you think back to the very first time we hear about Naomi and Ruth having a conversation, Ruth says, or Naomi says to Ruth, Go, return to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. And so the word rest here is not just a ceasing of laboring, but it is better understood as a place where you can rest or a resting place, right? It's a, a place where you can go and be at peace and rest. So what Naomi is talking about, it becomes very clear when she adds each of you in the house of her husband. In the context of the first chapter, she's trying to send back Orpah and, and Ruth so that they can remarry, build families, and find their own resting places. That is, uh, they can prosper and be happy and so naturally, we assume the same thing is meant here when Naomi again says, should I not seek rest for you? Like, I don't want this life for you. I want you to have a place where you can come to, to rest and a resting place, a, a home, right? Not just living with your mother-in-law. I want something more for you. I want you to have a place that feels like your own that you can rest in, that it may be well with you. The word here has a sense of being joyful or rejoicing. As we think about joy today, that is essentially what Naomi says. She says, I want a life for you beyond that of a mourning widow working in the fields to take care of yourself and, and your mother-in-law. I want you to find a home again. I want you to find joy again, right? Ruth had experienced joy. She had been a newlywed. She had had a family. She had had a, a husband and a sister-in-law and a brother-in-law. And she had had a mother. And all of a sudden, she's in a time of mourning. There's not a lot of joy. Just a sense of trudging on in life. And so Naomi says, listen, I want something more for you. And Naomi here, possibly encouraged by the way the Lord has obviously blessed them through Boaz, maybe she begins thinking, well, what if God has more for you in Boaz than we thought? More than just a safe place to work, more than just a kind and generous man. Boaz was a close relative. Maybe he's a kinsman redeemer. Maybe he will do more for you than just protect and provide. Now, part of the story I think is really important is to understand that Boaz is not technically, according to the law, a kinsman redeemer. In the law, he would have to have been a brother to Ruth's husband to fall in this category of kinsman redeemer. 
to redeem the wife of his brother, to carry on his, his name. But in regard to Naomi, he would have been expected to uh, purchase the family land if Naomi got in distress and had to sell her husband, Emelech's family land. So there was some responsibility, but not towards Ruth. And I think that's important for us to understand in the story when we look at what happens later. So he had a little bit of responsibility towards the family, but not necessarily towards this Moabite widow. So, but Naomi gets this idea, this plan starts to hatch. Ruth should let Boaz know that she would be open to marriage. Ruth needs to let Boaz know that he, she would be interested in him. But she does so in a way that would avoid any unnecessary public embarrassment for Ruth or Boaz. See, if Ruth came to Boaz in the public and declared that she was ready for marriage and Boaz rejected her, it would be bad for Ruth, right? And if he was offended by the fact that a Moabite foreigner would come to him, it would have caused some public embarrassment. And so Naomi comes up with this idea and she does it in a way that not only could they avoid any unnecessary public embarrassment for Ruth or Boaz, he could quietly refuse, and no one would have to know, right? But she hopes. She hopes that Boaz's amazing kindness to Ruth hints, maybe, that he would be open to more. She hopes that the generosity of Boaz, his protection and his gifts, his praise of Ruth, she hopes maybe this, indicates that he would be interested in extending the ultimate kindness to Ruth. Maybe she would be, he would be interested in entering into a marriage with her. So she tells Ruth to wash and anoint herself, put on her cloak, and go to where Boaz will be tonight, winnowing grain, and after he's alone, lay at his feet and see what he says. Now, not everyone agrees on what exactly her instructions mean. Is she telling Ruth, basically, get, get prettied up, right? Take a bath, wash your hair, put some perfume on, you know, get your best dress on and go because you're trying to impress Boaz. Or is there something else? One commentator proposes that she is telling Ruth to put off her widow's garments and put on her regular clothes, right? Because widows had garments they would wear that would signify they were widows. And she's saying, put that off. Let Boaz know you are done mourning and ready to move on. And whether or not Naomi was just telling her to get, uh, as we say in East Texas, gussied up, or she was telling her to take off the widow garment, either way, the plan is the same. Go to Boaz and hope that the kindness he has expressed to you, the generosity, there's something deeper and he will be willing to extend the ultimate kindness to you, to be your redeemer. So we have a hopeful plan. Let's pick up in verse 6 as Naomi, as Ruth, rather, enacts this plan. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. 
he said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in, what you have not, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for all, you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. When we break down what is happening here, so Naomi has a hopeful plan, but what Ruth has to do, Ruth has to make a bold request, right? She has to come before Boaz and make this bold request, and there is a tension that needs to be properly managed here that sometimes I think commentators and pastors forget and lean too far one way or other. Uh, This is neither as salacious as some make it, or as innocent as others would try to make it. When we interpret the situation, we need to keep in mind the character of those involved. Boaz, the scripture tells us, is a worthy man. He has shown nothing but a righteous heart, respectful attitude. Uh, he is, uh, we saw his honor in addressing his workers, his kindness in treating Ruth with dignity and respect. He asked God's blessing on Ruth for her kindness to Limelech's wife, Naomi. We saw his generosity in giving Ruth unprecedented access to his fields. He is described as a worthy man. Ruth, we have seen Ruth to be an incredibly loyal and honorable daughter-in-law. We have seen she is willing to work diligently to care for her mother-in-law, and yet she has a gentle and humble spirit. One of the things when you study this that you have to understand is that there's some ambiguous language used here. Uh, commentators, as they try to understand exactly what Naomi's plan was and exactly what Ruth did, there's some ambiguity there. Translators disagree, uncover his feet, mean, where she was supposed to lie down and why Naomi would simply say, he will tell you what to do. And I think this ambiguity is possibly intentional to highlight that this could have gone another way. Right? This was... uh, There's a certain sensuality that we cannot deny, right? Boaz, in this situation, the Bible says his heart was merry. And the same word here is used for glad we talked about earlier. His heart was full of joy and gladness. This harvest was good. Don't forget the context. There had been famine for 10 years. And now, as he sits on the winnowing floor, he has worked all day, and all of this barley and all this wheat has been harvested, and his house will not suffer right? God has blessed him with an abundance, and he is joyful. He is glad. His heart is full. We know this is the right time to ask for things, right? Like, moms tell kids, like, well, wait till dad, wait till after supper, right? Wait, or wait till, well, you know, wait till after the the game's over, right? Wait till dad's in the right state of mind before we ask that. Or I tell Lily, maybe you should go do the dishes before you talk to mom, right? Get her in the right frame of of mind, right, before you ask mom for that thing. And so Boaz is in the perfect position to be favorable to a request. He's joyful. But here's Ruth's situation. She has come to him under the cover of night when he was full and happy. She has come to where he was laid down there by himself at the end of the heap of grain because he is the owner of it all 
and she has uncovered his feet and lay beside him in the dark, in a corner alone, and no one else knows she is there. No wonder Boaz was startled, right? Think about the, the, the scandalous potential here. This certainly could have been interpreted in an inappropriate way. Moabite women were already thought of by the Jews as immoral women, and here one comes in the dark of night and lays next to him. He could have thought of any number of things, especially with Naomi's plan where she was supposed to just wait and see what he said. What if he decided that he would take advantage of the situation? What if he decided to not only do that, but to run her reputation into the ground as a hussy who threw herself at him? What if he didn't read the situation the way they thought he would? And maybe that's why Ruth deviated from the plan a little bit. She didn't wait for him to say anything. She spoke immediately and said, it's Ruth, and this is why I'm here. She knew Boaz was an honorable man, and she wanted him to know she was an honorable woman. So she clears up any miscommunication in the very beginning. She says, I'm here because I want you to redeem me. There is a, a moment that she makes this bold request. And what is the request? She says, spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. What does this mean? Because this language is, is poetic, right? It's a beautiful language. She doesn't say, I want you to marry me. She doesn't say, I want you to take care of me. She doesn't say, she says, spread your wings over your servant. We talked about last week that this is a familiar picture in Scripture, and the word wings here can also mean that the edge of the corner of a garment, the, the edge of your robe would be the same word would be used for wing. And so she says, in essence, she uses this word that has a double meaning. She says, uh, spread your cloak over me, Spread your wings over me. Remember, this is the same language that Boaz used when he was talking about Ruth in Ruth chapter 2. The Lord will pay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord of God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Literally, please cover me with your garment, which was a sign of marriage or a covenant. And figuratively, cover me with your wings, that is, take me in as your own. This essentially is Ruth asking Boaz to ask her, to marry him, right? This is Ruth asking Boaz to propose marriage, letting her know, letting him know that she is interested. And here's the details that are important. For you are a redeemer. This isn't just a request for marriage, but a request for him to exercise his duty as a kinsman redeemer, which would mean caring for Naomi and fulfilling his duty to carry on Naomi's son's lineage. Now, don't forget, this is why this is important, that Boaz, according to the law, is not bound to fulfill this duty towards Ruth. He was not a brother to Malone or Chilion. He, he was not bound to do this. And so what Ruth boldly asked is that he would do this of his own accord. Not because the law demanded it, not because he had to do it, but because he wanted to do it. She says, will you redeem me? 
Another evidence that these two are faithful and honorable is that Boaz immediately understands what she's asking for. And he praises her character as a worthy woman. And he says, all that you do, I will, I will, all that you've asked, I'll do. All is implied with that, not just marriage, but redemption. All of that I'm going to do. But there's a little snag in the plan, right? There always is, isn't there? So let's go on to pick up at verse 12. He said, I'll do everything that you've said. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a kinsman or redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, as Jehovah lives, Yahweh, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she laid his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you're wearing and hold it out. So she held it out and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. And she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? She told her all that the man had done for her, saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. So we have had a hopeful plan, we've had a bold request, and now we see a joyful future. We won't spend as much time on this point, but I do want to point out that one way or another, Ruth's life would never be the same, right? That's what we know here. She came to Bethlehem with a hope of some kind of future, she has found some peace here, but now there is a real sense that there will be joy in her future. She will not have to eke out an existence as a widow here in a foreign land. There will be something for her here. And there's just one more note that is worthy of paying attention to. Why did Boaz send the gift of grain? Why did he uh, give her this gift, which some people estimate could be up to 80 pounds of grain? Like he, he filled up the sack to give her. Ruth tells us, not the author doesn't tell us in the story, but rather in Ruth reporting to Naomi, she says, I must not go back to my mother-in-law empty-handed. Now why is this important? I want you to think back to the very beginning of the story. What did, what did Naomi say of herself? She said, I went away full and I came back empty. I went away blessed and God has embittered me and brought me back. Don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara, for I'm bitter, right? I'm empty. This is the same word. He says, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty. Her motivation for sending Ruth to Boaz was to take care of Ruth, right? But in this gift, it seems Boaz is saying, I will not forget you, right? This joy is not just for Ruth even though that's all you cared about, right, is her rest, her joy, I'm going to redeem you too. And here's a down payment on the redemption. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful part of the story where we see this is not going to be just Ruth's redemption, but Naomi's joy. They came empty and bitter, and now God has providentially brought them to the brink of a life filled with promise and joy. 
Ruth would be taken care of, or married, Naomi would be taken care of, the line of Elimelech would continue. This is a huge point in the story. If everything went well, Boaz would be the redeemer for not just Ruth, but Naomi. And uh, the story here introduces a little small point of tension at the conclusion. Uh, there is another redeemer. We don't know who he is. But Naomi is confident that they will have an answer to this very day, right? There's a possibility that yet another character would have to be involved. There's another kinsman redeemer that has a first refusal rights, if you will. I think it's a small tension because we have seen God providentially guide and provide for Ruth and Naomi throughout this story. She happened to find the field, right? She came at the right time. Like all of these things have happened. We trust that God will take care of this too, and we'll see how that story finishes next Sunday. But you see, either way, joy is coming, right? The emptiness is over. The mourning is over. The loneliness is over. There is redemption on the horizon. It's happening. But you know, there was a real possibility in this hopeful plan that Ruth could have been rejected by Boaz. Right? She could have gone to him, as her mother-in-law said. And he had no real legal responsibility to her. He was of a different status than her, both economically and societally. He could have laughed at her. He could have belittled her. He could have said, who are you, this foreign Moabite widow, servant, coming to a landowner and a worthy man like myself? How could you ever presume to be with someone like me? This could have ended so much differently than it did. And can I just say something that some of you may never have said out loud? Maybe you couldn't have even articulated it if you wanted to, but this thought has had you in its grip all of your life. What if Jesus doesn't want me? What if I come to Jesus and he rejects me? You have never dared to dream that the joy we talk about, the joy we sing about at Christmas could ever really be yours because of your past, because of your sin because of your doubts. Why would the perfectly righteous God of the universe ever take a sinful man or woman like you to himself? How will I ever be accepted? I want to share something with you this morning that it is Jesus himself that welcomes you. Listen to just a few of the words of Jesus here. In Matthew 11, he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy letting, and I will give you rest. Same word. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In John 7, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And in John 6, he says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. 
Jesus, unlike Boaz, doesn't need to be made aware of your need for redemption. He doesn't need any prompting. It was his plan from the beginning. He initiated, he completed it, and he offers it. Listen to me, there is no past that precludes you, no sin that prevents you, and no shame that can shut you out. If you will just come to him as your redeemer and ask him to cover you, you can experience joy that is beyond words in this life and the life to come. You can know peace and joy that surpasses all understanding. And more than that, know this, it is his great pleasure and joy to give it to you. In Hebrews 12, he says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. What was the joy set before him? The completion of his work. The redemption of his people. The salvation for man, woman, and child. Do you want to experience that joy today, you simply have to be willing to come and ask. To bow with me.